on this special Canada Day edition of the Fretzelmania podcast, I review In Your House Canadian Stampede from July 6th, 1997. Featuring Team USA versus Team Canada, Goldust, the Legion of Doom, Ken Shamrock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the entire Hart Foundation, as well as The Undertaker defending the WWE title against Vader and a work-rate match between Takamichinoku and the Great Sasuke. All that and more this much on the return edition of Fretzelmania. Tune in, folks. You're in for a ride. It's been a while, huh? What What have I missed? Let's see. Let's get the old phone out here. Jeff Hardy, DOI, Vince McMahon. <clears throat> Nothing I am talking about today, folks. It's been a while. I hope that you were all, all doing well. If you can hear a TV or other little things going on in the background, you all know that I moved, and I didn't move alone. We have the matriarch of WrestleLadic Radio here, Mama Fretz, in the other room with our cat, and it's uh, been a great transition moving so far. Thanks to everyone who has been reaching out. So without further ado, we have Canadian Stampede in Your House from July 6, 1997. I was in between grade 7 and grade 8 during this period of time. It was peak wrestling obsession. I was just starting to really watch just about every week and this was a really uh big pay-per-view at least in in my mind in my watching if you will and the intro here of course because we're in calgary you get the branding iron you get the whole cowboy feel you get right in the midst of the annual calgary stampede your commentators are jr Jerry the King Lawler and Vince McMahon himself all decked out in cowboy shit gear because Stampede, am I right? In a dark match, we have the Godwins defeating the new Blackjacks in a Rednecks versus Cowboys kind of match right up Calgary's alley. And this is Brett's in-ring return following arthroscopic knee surgery in about... April or May time. So this is a great big homecoming for for Bret Hart, for the Hart Foundation. And uh, of course, since we're in his hometown, we see a lot of signs that are in favor of Bret, including one that says Bret rules with two T's. Yes, my, my late friend Bret rules. Rest in peace, buddy. And we have the commentary team here, of course, in the cowboy hats. The King's cowboy hat here is just just a sight to behold. And we kick off the show with the genesis, not of McGillicuddy, but a fantastic feud that would be won for years to come. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the 1997 King of the Ring Award winner, going up against Mankind. This is a feud that would really pick up steam in 99-2000 with the infamous... Cactus Jack Triple H Street Fight, and yes, that is going to be one that I talk about someday. Triple H comes out to Ode to Joy, or if you were from Canada at this point in time, the Drink Milk Love Life theme, and if you remember that, you are as old as me, and you get a can of Coke, 
or in this case, a can of milk. No, no, no. Can of milk, tin, dairy. Nuh-uh. That does not sound appetizing. Yes, I know, America, that Yoohoo comes in a can, but dairy in a can. Nah, nah, nah. So we see handsome Doc Hendricks himself, Mr. P.S. Hayes, recapping a few that dates back to the King of the Ring. These two, of course, being the finalists for the 1997 King of the Ring. Triple H comes out on top and is crowned the king. And mankind is literally crowned in the head with a scepter by China. And... Doc inquires this one question that in 2022 eyes is just, it's ironic. It's like rain on your, I've done this gag before, you know where I'm going with this. Has Helmsley tried to buy the WWF? Talk about foreshadowing. Given the current (laughs) circumstances with Vince McMahon, Had Triple H not gone down with his congenital heart defect or whatever this heart problem that he was having, I think we'd be having serious conversations about him taking over as CEO rather than Stephanie, who recently had to step down due to family issues. Maybe this was it. I'm not speculating any further on that because we don't know anything. And at this point in time today... They are allegations, and you are innocent until proven guilty. Not a lot of people like that these days, but that's the that's the way it is. And now here is a run-in from Herbie, the resident cat of Wrestle Attic Radio. You have your treats. I spoiled you already there, kitty. China asks Mick to kiss her ass. And Mick says, it's your lucky day because I'm a good kisser. Funny line there. Mankind coming out here to his, uh, I don't know what they call this team, Ode to Freud, I think they used to call it, a great babyface pop, which, given the fact that I watched Mankind's entire run up until this point, it was really, really strange to hear him getting a big pop. These, of course, were because of these interviews that Jim Ross had been having with Mick Foley over the past few weeks on Raw, where they kind of try to humanize and sympathize this character, make him likable, make him marketable, and really give him a big push. You know, JR was the recipient of a mandible claw thanks to these interviews. We see the home videos of uh, of Dude Love, a character that we would come to know in the next few weeks. We would see bits from Cactus Jack's FMW death matches in Japan just two years previous to this. And if you haven't seen those, uh, they are not, not for the squeamish. I'll warn you that right now. That was in the midst of my tape trading way back in the day, and it's uh, it's a rough watch. I mean, it's no Onita versus Terry Funk, but it's good. It's, a, it's at least better than uh, whatever the John Moxley, Kenny Omega, Eddie Kingston thing was. <clears throat> that was just a... went over like a fart in church. 
And we see a brawl right away from this match when we have a big full circle moment here. Nate, take a shot. This is leading up to War Rumble 2000. This is leading up to No Way Out 2000. With the benefit of hindsight, foresight, whatever that word is, my goodness, it's just fun to look back at and see how everything started with their feud. They have a cave ma cage match at SummerSlam, but, man, that, that's just for another day. Lawler here is piping up here about my my fellow countrymen, my fellow Canadians, saying that they cheer for Foley because they relate to him, and some of them look like him, mostly the women. Bro, have you been to Alberta? Those are some of the most beautiful ladies. Not only in Canada, but on this damn planet, dude. Maybe if you get to, like, you know, Red Deer will be... Yeah, I, 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 I see. Mankind presses A and B on No Mercy and does the curtsy. Does a little taunt here to uh, enrage Mr. Helms. The Triple H is sent out of the ring... And we see the flying elbow drop to the outside. Bang, bang. A little bit of Cactus Jack coming out that even JR alludes to in here. So we are, we're seeing the ball rolling here with Cactus Jack, who will be making an appearance in two months' time. Triple H takes the Ric Flair bump to the outside, right in front of the Hart Foundation. Bruce Hart there is just sitting there, cross-armed in his shades, wishing he had a Bought in this match, wishing that he was in the five versus five Heart Foundation match. Still bitter about Survivor Series 1993. Still bitter about being doused in water by Doink the Clown. But here we are. Come on, Bruce. Just, just get in there. And we see a brawl up the ramp right to the house. The in your house set was just fantastic. And when NXT brought it back, you know, back when NXT was. Um, how do I put this delicately? Not crap. It was so, so great to see. Mankind has a suplex on the steel ramp, and JR says that, excuse me, he knows what the mandible claw is like, maybe what it tastes like, and Mankind here is called the Prime Minister of Parts Unknown, so that makes Mankind... Justin Trudeau. We see a sunset flip by Triple H, the Aloha Arn spot, but it is reversed into a mandible claw by Mankind. China punches McFoley through the ropes. No disqualification. Foley confronts China. Triple H gets a cheap shot in. China power slams Foley into the ring steps, and you see just the back of Foley's knee just crushed right into the, into the steps in a Brutal, brutal spot. A chop block, and it's time to work on the knee, Hunter. And JR calls Triple H something that we wouldn't really hear until the game rolls around. He calls Hunter Hurst Helmsley cerebral. Put a pin in that and save it for later. King loves to see other kings succeed. I mean, who wouldn't? Triple H goes for the rope figure four, but Corderas kicks Triple H's arm. No, he had the the figure four, and he had his hand on the ropes, and Jimmy Corderas, uh, no, just boots his hands off and frees it up. The pedigree is, tonight, is denied, and then Mankind, <clears throat> in air quotes here, 
collapses shoulder first right into Triple H's balls. And we see a knee into the corner, a tree of woe elbow by Foley, the cactus pile driver. Bang, bang, once again. Mankind gets the chair, but China distracts, and Triple H uses the chair. China clotheslines Foley's head off. Triple H is crotched on the rope. We have the mandible claw, and Foley once again is crotched on the ropes. Because I think Triple H was sitting on the top turnbuckle. You get the claw, you get crotched, and then the match breaks out into a big old schmoz, and it's a double countout right into the Flames penalty box. We have uh, Theo Fleury gets two minutes for conspiracy theories. And if you follow Theo Fleury on Twitter, which I used to, you would know that reference because he is an absolute nutbag, and they just keep brawling all over the place. It is the week of the Calgary Stampede, an annual tradition in Calgary, Alberta, which is full of, you know, cowboy shit, you know, like rodeos and uh, and, uh, and other, you know, cowboy-like competitions. There is a beauty pageant there, the Miss Calgary, which was won by Diana Hart Smith that year, the then wife of the British Bulldog. We see a big old homecoming for Brett and Owen. It is one mile long. King, you're in Canada. Use metric. Holy shit, these guys. We see a white hat ceremony featuring the Legion of Doom, Goldust, and Michael P.S. Hayes. The WWE gets the key to the city of Calgary. I don't understand why you wouldn't just give it to the Hart Foundation only. I mean, this is a turf war here between Canada and the USA. We have a tug of war featuring the WWE and uh, Calgary's finest. They're, they're firefighters. And backstage, Doc Hendricks conducts an interview with the Hart Foundation, you know, saying, you know, what if you lose at home? And Brett's like, okay, now let's not talk stupid here. Uh, they start talking. Austin tries to interfere in this uh, in this interview and is held back by Pat Patterson and Tony Gurria. And they'll say they'll get the job done five on five. This next match, Zach, I can hear your hands rubbing. I can see you. You're salivating at this next match here because it is two of Japan's finest junior heavyweights at the time, Taka Michinoku versus the great Sasuke. And this match, as you will see in a sign being waved around at the beginning of this match, is a work rate match. And this, of course, is leading up to the light heavyweight championship in the WWE, which at this point in time is an active championship. This title floated around between the UWF and Michinoku Pro in Japan and Mexico. And some of its notable champions include Para Aguayo, Gran Hamada, Gentleman Chris Adams, Viano 3. I believe that Ultimo Dragon had this title at this point in time. I'm just, yes, he did. This was one of the like 12 belts that Ultimo Dragon consecutively held at the same time. This title made an appearance on Nitro in 1996. Jushin Thunder Liger and the last champion before this went. WWE exclusive Shinjiro Otani. 
Zach, I hear you. I see you. You're loving this. This match here. Oh, but first, meanwhile, Mankind and Triple H are still fighting and almost ruin the beginning of this match. Great Sasuke has held nine different junior heavyweight titles, including the light heavyweight championship. King talks about Antonio Inoki versus Ali and Tiger Mask. And then this match just kicks off into, into ninth gear. This kicks off into a Wrestle Kingdom Junior Heavyweight Championship match here. It's just fantastic. I can't go bit for bit and spot for spot here. But what I wrote down here, holy shnikes, watch this match. If there's any match you want to watch from this show besides... Actually, you know what? A good chunk of this show is pretty damn good, and it clocks in at about an hour 45 minutes. So it's shorter than an episode of Raw. Hell, it's shorter than two episodes of Monday Night Raw. It'd be a great way to kick off your Monday night. We see Sasuke lock in a sleeper, a wicked jumping sidekick straight out of Street Fighter, a half Boston Crab, Lance Storm is in the crowd taking notes, Taka reaches the ropes. Taka with a wicked right hand, a snapmare and a dropkick, a basement dropkick. Taka is sent to the outside. Sasuke with a wicked sidekick to the outside off the top rope. This match rules. Roundhouse kicks and a buzzsaw kick by Sasuke and Taka is out on his feet. To which Vince replies with, alright ref, let's uh, stop this thing here. King, it's like, don't stop. Unless he bites his ear off. Oh, King. Yeah, uh, the whole the, the Evander Holyfield Mike Tyson incident is just so ingrained in pop culture at this point in time that it's still being used as SNL gags and stupid Jerry the King lather shit jokes. Taka Michinoku with a mwah, chef's kiss springboard plancha to the outside. Taka is. Trying to go for a suplex to the inside, it's reversed. Sasuke with a German reverse. Taka with a Hurricane Ron and a La Magdi Straw Cradle in a two count. Handspring elbow, Yoshihiro Tajiri taking notes. Asai Moonsault, Ultimo Dragon, get your lawyers out by the great Sasuke. A rebound, snap belly to belly suplex by Taka, springboard dropkick, and finally... Michinoku driver and a kick out. Asai Moonsault <clears throat> by Sasuke. A powerbomb and then finally to win the match. Sasuke with a picture perfect tiger suplex for the 1 2 3 in. Might be my match of the night. I mean, for work rate, absolutely. But the main event is. Well, I mean, it's the main event. And if you're. If you grew up in Canada at this point in time, you'd understand how the main event would mean so much to someone from my country. Mankind and Triple H continue to fight on the outside, right by the Calgary Flames' Zamboni. And we see a little bit here about how The Undertaker was supposed to defend <clears throat> the WWE title against Ahmed Johnson, but unfortunately, that man is cursed. That man is snake bitten. Ahmed was, I believe, in the midst of a heel run 
being a member of the Nation of Domination. You know, a member of the group that he had been fighting for the past several months, including the man that put him on the shelf with that severe kidney injury in, in 1996, Farouk. But unfortunately, he suffered yet another injury and would be on the shelf. This would be the one that was kind of the nail in the coffin for him. Ahmed would be back for a bit to wrestle against the nation because he had been outed by, ousted by The Rock. But that was, that was to come. That was not quite yet. Paul Bearer is now interviewed with Big Van Vader, the man who is challenging The Undertaker for the championship later tonight. And, uh, the inter- I think it was. I think Doc was doing all the backstage bits here. I didn't write down who did this, and it's like, well, how can you look in the mirror, basically, to Paul Bearer, and it's like, looking in the mirror is the best thing I do every morning, if you know what I mean. Is that a giggity? Is that supposed to be an innuendo? Because, oh, oh, that's dirty. I'm not saying that out loud. <clears throat> The Royal Rumble here is mentioned where Vader pinned The Undertaker in a non-title match as no one was the champion at this point in time. In your house final four, these two beat the snot out of each other, also alluded to, and Paul Bearer calls The Undertaker a murderer. Not long before this, we heard the first allusions to the man that would become Kane, The Undertaker's long-lost thought dead younger brother bearer calls taker a murderer because you know the whole thing with uh, taker and the funeral home that caused a fire that killed both of his parents kane is coming but not quite yet and we're just right into vader versus the undertaker for the championship here no Ahmed, no Nation of Domination. Ahmed's injuries have just been piling and piling up. And if you're a listener of the Cultaholic Classic Raw review, you would know that Ahmed Johnson is likened to Thwomp from Super Mario Brothers fame. <clears throat> I couldn't do that. Damn cold. It's just not quite left me yet. It's time. It's time. It's Vader time. Paul Bearer is a little bit less... Spooky, a little bit less, oh yes, but speaking like the mild-mannered Percival Pringle III from the Deep South. And of course he was burned by a errant fireball from The Undertaker following In Your House in April. This of course led to the events of bringing up Kane. The referee for this match is... uh. A man that we just lost the other day, and that, of course, is the legendary Tim White. Rest in peace, Tim. He was a long-standing referee in the company, including uh, several WrestleMania matches. Uh, infamously, his final match, the uh, Hell in a Cell match with Chris Jericho and, well, one man that was just in this show, Triple H. Then, of course, he had those awful in poor taste, WWE.com ads where he tried to off himself. They, yeah, they're 
they're a rough watch now. I'm pretty sure one of the Ruthless podcasts have have looked at this, but uh, when I get to that part in the Ruthless Aggression era, spoiler alert, I am not not even going to touch that. And I'm looking in this match, we have Vader, we got Paul Bearer, and now we got Tim White, who are all gone. We And, and last week we lost Dave Hebner, the originator of Twin Magic with uh, with Brother Earl. Not a, not a good week for referees. Someone protect Jimmy Corderas for the love of everything holy, please. This is a damn good match right here. These two hosses just take lumps out of each other. They they know each other very well. They've wrestled each other a number of times. And Taker with a leg drop and a kick out by Vader. Whip in the corner. Taker goes for old school or as it was known as back then, probably primary school. As I said, this is the summer in between grade 7 and grade 8. Uh, a year from now, uh, little Mr. Fretz will be in high school. Just where does the time go, right? JR talks about Vader's domination in Japan. Oh no, my friend, you haven't even scratched the surface yet because when he leaves the Fed next year, his run in Japan from the 90s to the mid-aughts, like wrestling and tagging with Stan Hansen, I think he had some bits with... uh, Did he do some bits with Albert? I can't remember, but man, Vader's run in Japan is legendary and it's worth a shot i mean he's probably wrestled guys like kabashi mosawa and of course just bloody buckets of blood brawls with stan the man hansen and speaking of stan the man hansen we see a jumping lariat by the undertaker and a big boot that sends the big man over the top rope taker throws vader into the steps no he is thrown into the steps, I'm sorry. Both knees first, and that's probably why this man has had both of his hips replaced at this point in time. Paul Bear tries to get a couple of cheap shots in, continues to scream and call Taker a murderer. Take stun guns Vader over the top rope and goes for the top rope Taker Lariat. Mwah, chef's, chef's kiss here. And JR says that Sonny and the Honky Tonk Man are talking to Mick Foley and Triple H on the Superstar line. Yeah, take my money. Yeah, I I called that superstar line a couple of times, and uh, yeah, yeah. Need, need, needless to say, uh, it was not a good night for Fretz when that uh, phone bill came in here. Paul Bearer is waddling for his life as he is being chased down by the dead man, and some very creative fan spent a lot of time making this murderer sign, followed by Hellfire. Or something for the Undertaker. Paul gets some more cheap shots in here. Gets some more licks in with his with his shoe. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. And JR says, well, if the heel of the, of the shoe won't get on, the smell will. Good line there. Vader goes for a Brett's rope lariat. The most dangerous rope. But to no avail. Vader with a suplex and a splash. And then the creatures of the night come alive. For the Undertaker. Undertaker goozles. He has the big man by the throat for a choke slam, but low blow right in front of the referee. I guess Tim White is just letting this thing go, boss. Okay. Okay. You see a tombstone, but it was reversed, and oh. Okay, if you've seen Botchamania, you've probably seen this this fail here. Take goes for the tombstone. Vader goes for the reversal, maybe to hit 
one of his own, but it just flops out into uh, into nothing. It was pretty ugly, but luckily nobody got hurt. Vader bomb, but nope. Take sits up. Low blows the big man right in front of the referee. Again, Tim White just, hey, it's a title match. Anything goes. And we see a Brett's rope choke slam by the dead man. A visual three. It looked like and it sounded like there was a three count, but those old school WWF tapes with that really echoey kind of mat and the visual three counts or the botched three counts, Botchamania, Matthew, you're probably been on the case for that one. No, but it was it was really good, really close. Chokeslam, kick out, and then finally takes out enough. Symbols for the tombstone, drops Vader on his head for the one, two, three, and retains the championship. We see a bunch of events that lead up to the main event of this show, including the formation of the DOA, of Los Pariquas, the implosion of the Nation of Domination, not a new member yet. We have Faction Warfare. Just wait till we get to the fucking Truth Commission. Oh dear God, no. Team USA then comes in. Oh, that's why we have Faction Warfare stuff here. They clean house. They talk about, you know, USA, rah, 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 whatever. We see a recap of the Austin-Brett feud starting at about Survivor Series 1996, going into WrestleMania 13. The historic double turn, the bloody face. You've seen it. You know what it means. That fantastic match, submissions-only match they had. And, you know, Brett talking about how much he hates American fans. Yeah, me too, Brett. Me too. We, we have... Uh, Team USA here having an interview, and they are considered the underdogs. I mean, you're on Canadian soil. You're going up against Team Canada. Yeah, I know Team Canada has two Yanks and a Brit on there. But whatever. Goldust tries to play Peacemaker, and since I don't see John Cena anywhere there, I take him up for his word. You want to play Clint Eastwood? We got five of the best here. And we see robotic Ken Shamrock talking about, you cross me, I get in my zone. Oi, man, I love me some Ken Shamrock, but this is deer in the headlights. Ken Shamrock here, he ain't good at cutting a promo. Does send him out to the ring to kick some ass, and he'll do that. Animal shouts about survival of the fittest. You know, this isn't about Canada versus USA. This is about survival of the fittest and blah, blah, blah. Hawk doesn't even go, well, he just says, all I got to say is what a rush. Farmer's daughter sings O Canada. I mean, <clears throat> Farmer's daughter absolutely butchers O Canada. You know, they're recording artists from back of the day. I guess you can consider them Canada's answer to the Dixie Chicks, but the Dixie Chicks are far far much better than farmer's daughter oh canada of course on canadian soil gets a massive pop not a lot of people singing along although the crowd wasn't really mic'd up i still saw a bunch of hats on in the crowd take your hats off during the national anthem folks and stand up please howard finkel then recognizes recognizes notables in the crowd tonight, including Alberta Premier Ralph Klein, who gets booed out of the building. <laughs> Which is even funny because uh, 
uh, just recently, Alberta Premier, what's his name, Jason Kenney, resigned in disgrace. Oh, Alberta, just never change, will you? And then, of course, he introduces Stu and Helen Hart. Bruce Hart is sitting in there, crossed arm, crossed arms, just leather jacket, shades, pouty face, raises his dad's hand, still trying to put himself over Bruce Hart, you carny. But you can kind of tell that brute, that Stu Hart there, yeah, just wants to grab us. Bruce, discipline him a little bit, just stretch him out. Let me see if I put that proper sleeper hold on you, boy. You're coming through this side on the sleeper hold. It's main event time. Gold Dust, Hawk and Animal, the Legion of Doom, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Going up against Brian Pillman, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, Owen Hart, and Bret Hart in the Hart Foundation. And this is a monumental homecoming for the Foundation. Now, Monday Night Raw have been trading shows in between Canada and the USA leading up to and following this. Like, I think the night after this, they're... They're in Edmonton. They did some shows in you know, in Toronto and Ottawa during this whole build-up and after, and it was fantastic stuff. However, me being a 13-year-old Mark, who basically cheered for who the TV told me to, I wasn't really big into the, the pro-Canada deal. With the Hart Foundation, I thought he was coming off as kind of whiny. Although me looking back now, being a big fan of, you know, Petey Williams, Scott Damore, Eric Young, Robert Roode, and and Lance Storm, and their iterations of Team Canada in NWA and WCW respectively, I love it. I love it now. And they really pump the anti-American stuff here by... Even doing the line that I think was following this, where you say that the United States is shaped like one big shaped like one big toilet bowl. Now that I look at that on a map, I can't unsee it. And where do the turds go? But in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, I'm just gonna leave that one there. <laughs> it's too e- it's too easy. We hear major boos for. Gold Dust and Ken Shamrock. Uh, we see three <clears throat> young, beautiful ladies holding up signs that the Hart Foundation sucks. So either these three ladies are from the States, or yeah, they're from the States. I mean, if you're from Canada, you don't like the Hearts, you get your citizenship revoked. That's the rule. You have no idea what I had to do to get it back following this. We see the Legion of Doom get a polite pop by the Alberta faithful. Just rest in peace to both of those guys. My my goodness. JR thanks the UK fans for staying up late. And I got to give my UK good brother from across the pond, Jermaine, a shout out here. Haven't heard from you in a while, buddy. I hope that you're doing well over there. And we hear a mixed reaction for Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, Austin's on the rise here. He is on his way to be to being the top guy 
in the WWE. He is white hot, at least in the States. We get individual entrances for the members of the Hart Foundation. Brian Pillman's awesome ticking time bomb theme. Jim the Anvil Nightheart coming out to Alundra Blaze's theme for some reason. Rural Britannia, which only means the bizarre British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. With Miss Calgary, Diane Hart Smith in tow, the European champion, I may add. The two-time Slammy Award winning Intercontinental Champion, Buzz Cut Sporting Owen Hart is out next. And then Brett, last but not least, Pop of the Night here. And we see just these 316 rip-off blaspheme signs are getting ridiculous. Uh, Hart 2517. And I once saw at, was it WrestleMania 15, there was like a Fret 632 sign. No, it wasn't about me. WrestleMania 15 was, what, Boston? Philly? Something like that? Yeah, there's Fretzes in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Dutch, German, that kind of thing. A whole bunch of ancestry there. A bunch of distant relatives that I've never met and will never meet and I'm not related to. So this is Brett's first match since, I believe... Either Cold Day in Hell or Revenge of the Taker. I think Cold Day in Hell, he kind of had a schmoz match with Stone Cold Steve Austin that involved uh, each member of the Hart Foundation getting in here. And finally, the referee just said, sod it, you're done. And yes, Team Canada is only made up of two Canadians. Yeah, British Bulldog, I believe, had dual citizenship between Britain and Canada. I mean, he married a Canadian, uh... So did Jim the Anvil Nightheart, married Ellie Hart. So yeah, but a dual citizenship, but he's from Vegas. And then there's Brian Pillman, who I'm just watching this match and looking at him and my heart's breaking because, you know, he would be dead, what, two, three months after this. He could barely walk. He could barely move like his ankles refused or, or something here. That, that motorcycle crash he had in 95, 96, just, uh, it spelt the end for him because, you know, that got his addictions to to painkillers really, really kicked up. And seeing Flying Brian in some of my older reviews, like it was at Beach Blast or Starcade or whatever it was I was reviewing. And then seeing him here, oh man, it's a gut punch. Before the match here, Helen Hart gets Brett's shades and JR with the wine of the night. <laughs> Saying that, I didn't know they came in bifocals. <clears throat> Damn it, King, you got me. Kate. You popped me with that one. You popped me there. That that was... JR talks about a documentary film crew out here filming footage for a story about Brett's life. And this basically, basically convinced me that the Montreal Screwjob was a work. But I'm not going to dig too deeply into that because, well... That's just a big old can of worms and uh, something that would probably cause a fight in an Alberta bar. And if I ever go to Alberta, I gotta watch out for my own head. Austin and Bret Hart start here kicking, picking up right up from where they left off at WrestleMania 13. Austin's offense is getting booed. Reverse Thomas dropped by the Hitman. An Alberta beef sign in the crowd. Bird of beef, two minutes, two minutes aside, heavily salt and peppered down the hatch. Get that reference? I love you. 
Anvil is tagged in, but gets a Fez press for his trouble. Ken Shermock is tagged in, locks the ankle lock on the on the anvil. Pillman interferes here, who basically can't walk, is tagged. And JR loves to talk about the athletic background of these guys. Uh, Brian Pillman had a pro football career that spanned through the Cincinnati Bengals and ended in the Canadian Football League's Calgary Stampede. So, Stampeders. So it's also somewhat of a homecoming for the ticking time bomb himself. Everyone is getting their licks in, getting their spots in. Owen is tagged in here. Uh, gold against Goldust. Owen chants just echo through the crowd here. Austin sucks chants. Something that I wouldn't hear until reviewing the 2001 that I did last year. If you go back to my archives there, You'll probably hear that I noted that as well. Bruce Hart is just taunting from his seat, just being an absolute twat, trying to put himself over. Hawk goes for a splash, but it's a big nope. Owen Hart locks in the sharpshooter. The crowd starts to rise up because they're thinking they're getting the end. Broke up by Animal Boo. Bulldog suplexes Hawk and then does the running power slam, but denied. Owen and Road Warrior Animal lock up. We see a oh, chef's kiss. Perfect missile drop kick by the rocket and a kip up that pops the crowd big time. But then Owen is power bombed and power slammed by the animal. Hawk goes for the LOD lariat, but to no avail. There's a big brawl, a big old schmoz here breaks out. Austin rams Owen's leg into the post, grabs a steel chair, and creams Owen. Right in the leg, he shoves Bruce into the crowd, and the Austin Sucks chants continue. Then we finally see the culmination of the Austin versus Pillman feud. Well, not really, because Austin stuns Pillman, but the but it is broken up here. Pillman manages to get out. Brett then ring po- takes uh, Austin into the ring post with his knees. Wails on the knees with a fire extinguisher. And the figure four, sending Austin to the back to lick his wounds. Chaos ensues here. And then we see a little bit of SummerSlam setups featuring matchups between the Bulldog and Ken Shamrock and Goldust and Brian Pillman. Then finally, Austin comes back into this match here, limping to the ring, much to the chagrin of the Calgary crowd, who boo him out of the building. This would be the last time that Alberta would boo Stone Cold Steve Austin until 2002 when he faced Chris Benoit in a hometown match. Sharpshooter by uh, by Brett, but is saved by Animal. Austin then goes for the sharpshooter on Brett and is saved by Owen. And then Smith and Bruce Hart jump the rail on Austin. Someone in the crowd, probably paid off by Bruce Hart, starts a Bruce chant. Owen then rolls up Austin with the tights for the win. This distraction led <clears throat> to the Hart Foundation winning with rather heelish tactics. But it was a hometown win, so it was 
definitely a babyface win here for the Hearts and for Canada. The Hearts still win, but Team USA just can't let go. They have to get their heat back because USA, USA, USA. No. Bruce then tries to get his shots on the Legion of Doom because he is effing suicidal. If you're trying to mess with them, I met Road Warrior Animal not long before he died, and uh, he was a big boy. A very, very big boy indeed. Then we celebrate with the Hart family. And I mean everyone, you know, Owen's kids, Brett's kids, a young TJ Wilson and Natty Nightheart are in the ring here. And this was also referenced on the, uh, the Owen Hart Heart of Gold DVD, which if you haven't gotten yet, what's wrong with you? Get your get your ass to the store to buy it because it is fantastic. One of the members of the foundation, I think it was Natty, said that this was the last time that the whole family, I'm talking from Stu to great great grandkids, were all together at the same time. You know, Owen would die in 1999. You know, Helen would be gone not long before or after that. You know, Stu was gone. Bulldog passed in 02. You know, Anvil, we just lost him a couple of years ago. And it, it's kind of sad to see that, right? Because y- you never know when that time, when that time comes. Austin then tries to get his heat back in this, but he has jumped by all the hearts, and I am shocked, shocked that Steve didn't try to mess with Stu Hart. Stu was 82 years old at this point in time, but he could just take two fingers and bring Austin to his knees because that man just knew all the holds. Uh, (laughs) Talk about world's most dangerous man, Ken Shermock. Screw that. Stu Hart is the world's most dangerous man here. Uh, he, jump, he gets jumped by all the hearts, but but Austin managed to get a couple of licks on Jim the Anvil with a chair. Austin is then handcuffed and arrested because the Mountie always gets his man. And then, infamously, Steve Austin flips the bird through the handcuffs. It's just fantastic. And then there's a sign that just ends this whole show that I couldn't agree with more. American fans make me sick. Sorry, everybody. Next week, or the week after you hear this, because I'm recording this the end of June, and this is coming out on Canada Day, I'm going back to the Ruthless Aggression era, back to where I began this year, and I am going to cover a rather historic debut. Because in the coming weeks here, I think... It'll be the week after I record this, we will see this man make his return to the WWE. That's right. I am talking about John Cena. The SmackDown debut of John Cena is where I'm going to pick up the era. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and I still do a little bit on TikTok, but not as much as I used to. At Fretzelmania, F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania. This, of course, is on Wrestle Attic Radio, the cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast. Be sure to listen to a varied 
varied content on this channel, including the return of one of my best buds, my good brother, Nate, the effing great, with Brace for Impact, going through various events in TNA history. I uh, just did Victory Road 2004, and I was salivating at that one because that had my boy, Petey Williams, retaining the X Division Championship against AJ Styles. We also have the Kings of the Rings podcast, who is about to hit their Sparta anniversary, the 300th episode of the podcast. And given the fact that I've been with them since like episode 70, holy crap, <laughs> time flies. And of course, who could forget the only way you get your wrestling news with Mr. YLP himself, the Young Lions Perspective, Zach, every Saturday kicking off your weekend in proper YLP fashion. We have a merch store, folks. Just follow the links in the description. And, and for Pride Month, although you will hear this in July, we are going to be likely extending our Pride Month merch sales. This time we are raising, raising our funds for Protect Trans Lives. We have... A Protect Trans Lives t-shirts and a really nice looking tie-dye one as well. So be sure to uh, give that give that. So be sure to give that a look and look at our other lovely merch on Spring. All the links will be in the description below. Patreons, remember you get 15% off with a special code. And speaking of you, you Patreon folks, uh in the coming months, when things get a little bit less busy in Sable Beach, I think it's time that uh, Mr. Fretz brings back a certain Patreon-exclusive show. Maybe my fave five will be making an appearance when the leaves start to change. So thank you very much once again, and we'll see you very, very soon. Cheers.